morning, everyone. My name is Paul Bowden. I am honored and privileged to get to share with you today. Uh, while Pastor uh, Mike and Rhonda are on a short sabbatical, I want to thank them, too, for, uh, for just the opportunity uh, that I can share something that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm just, I don't know what the young people say. What do they say, jazzed or... Any, anybody, any young people? Kevin, you hang out with young people. What do they say? I don't know. But we used to say stoked. So stoked to bring this message to you. So, um, but I want to welcome everybody. Uh, welcome members, uh, visitors. There, there do seem to be a lot of uh, new faces here. Thank you for coming. Welcome to those online. And I always tell people, if, if you're new, come back. Listen to Pastor Mike. Uh, because he's a crazy Italian, and you never know what you're going to get. No, he, he uh, shares from the Bible, he shares the Word, he shares the truth, and that's one of the biggest things that attracted us here. So, uh, come on back. So, how's everybody else doing? Awesome. Good. We're ready, ready to hear the Word filled with the Holy Spirit today? Well, let's pray, ask for God's blessing on the rest of the service and the message today. Father, we thank you for being here in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that as we gather in your name, there you are also. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you use these words, that you use your word to touch hearts, to pursue people, and to help them to make a decision and turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're working on a series this summer titled, I Was Wondering. And my portion is, uh, I was wondering about the end times. This is the second of a three-part message, and it's entitled, Watch Therefore. And last time we discussed a couple end-time events, and we, we talked about the purpose of this seven-year tribulation as being twofold. One, to judge the sin and disobedience of the Israel, uh, uh, or the Jewish people, and to call them back into a relationship with God. And during that seven-year tribulation, there's a lot of death, destruction, violence, natural disasters, torment even. And we talked about just a handful of things uh, that, that uh, can be expected during that time. But the good news is, are you ready for good news, church? The tribulation is not for the church. Okay, there's a sp specific purpose for bringing the Jewish people back to God. So we, the true believers... Um, will experience the rapture. And the purpose of that is Jesus coming to uh, come back for his bride and bring her to heaven with him. So isn't that great news? We can all breathe a sigh of relief woo, and be encouraged. That's one of the things we need to, to be by it is encouraged. So we have a responsibility to be aware of the Kronos times and the Kairos times. Uh, and that's the things that are appointed like feasts and everything else that he has appointed, there is an appointed time for those. We shouldn't be ignorant of those. And we are told that it's, it's our responsibility. We need to obedient, be obedient in studying this. And I'm going to read three short scriptures, and then we'll move pretty quickly. Titus 2.15 is where Paul speaks of end time events, and he says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, Paul again speaks to the church and said, If anyone does not obey your word, our words in this epistle, 
Note that person. Do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. And do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That word admonish means to correct or earnestly warn that person. And Luke 12, uh, 54 through 56, this is Jesus speaking, and it sounds a little bit harsh, uh, but he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, and he says, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there is going to be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky of the earth, or the weather, but how is it that you cannot discern the time? He's saying we are to discern the appointed time. Also, we are to have uh, receive encouragement. Hebrews 10.25 says, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what could be more encouraging than to know that we don't have to experience the tribulation? We don't have to experience hell either. Isn't that even better news? And also, we get to tell people that they don't have to experience either of those either. Amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, so we can comfort each other and edify each other. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in Revelation 3.10. I will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole earth. And in John 14.1, he was speaking to the disciples who were having their whole world turned upside down. And he very calmly said, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, and we, we receive a blessing from studying this book. It's the only book in the Bible that says, if you study this, if you read it, even if you hear it, uh, you will receive a blessing. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So God specifically tells us to pay attention to this book. And seven times Jesus says in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, to, uh, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So, the rapture and the second coming are coming. And I had a slide about that, and it showed a really cool timeline, but that's going to have to maybe wait till next week. Um, because there, there is some, there's some question as to when things happen. And like I said last week, there are Bible scholars that study this and have studied it for decades. And some of them differ on their opinions, and that's okay in this case. God is very clear on some things. But as far as end times go, um, you know, there can be some, I won't call it confusion. He's not a God of confusion, but he wants us to seek it out, right? It's the glory of God to hide a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And we're the kings. We get to search it out. We get to learn. All right. So. In studying the word and rightly dividing it, we talked about three distinct people groups. One is Jews, and they're related by blood. They're born into the Jewish bloodline, and that's the bloodline that God chose to bring the Messiah through. Gentiles, uh, born outside of the Jewish blood. We, most of us would be Gentiles that aren't Jewish, uh, but also called the nations in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, some, sometimes called the Greeks. And anytime a Jewish person 
before a Gentile makes a decision to receive Christ as their Savior, they go into the church. That's the third group. It's only made of the true believers. It's followers of Christ who have accepted Jesus' death and burial and resurrection as a personal sin payment to God for their sin. And the evidence of that is what? It's love. The evidence of us receiving Jesus in our heart, the Holy Spirit works through us, and we love one another. Jesus said, that's how they will know that you are my disciples. And he's sitting in the throne of our life. All right, I need to uh, just cover one thing briefly that we talked about last week. It's the fact that um, the church and Jesus um, are married, right? Jesus came so that he could pay the bride price we talked about. And there is a, an actual covenant right now that he cut. So in, uh, in the Jewish wedding tradition, it's a reflection of this. It's a type or a shadow of what's really going on in the spirit between Christ and his church. So in review, the groom comes from his father's house, which in Jesus' case is heaven, <laughs> to the bride's father's house, which is on earth. He paid the bride price, his death. And the bride and groom drink from the cup. We do this, uh, the communion cup represents this, and we remember his death and him cutting a covenant with us. Uh, and then we're con considered legally married. So the church is sanctified, set apart for him, and then the groom goes back to the father's house, and we saw that as he ascended. And so what is going to happen now, the Bible tells us, is the wedding ceremony of uh, the traditional Jewish weddings is about to happen, where the groom returns for his bride at an unknown time to her. His arrival is announced with a shout. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and where he comes himself to get us with a loud cry of command and the trumpet of God. And the bride remains hidden in the groom's father's house for at least seven days, according to Jewish tradition. And we see this in the word because there is no mention of the church for seven years during that seven-year tribulation. And after at least seven days, the bride then leaves the bridal chamber unveiled, and that's when the church will return with Jesus in full view of all. Amen. And did you know that Jesus taught a pre-tribulation pre rapture? He taught that himself. And we just talked about the betrothal ceremony and the wedding ceremony. And now let's take a look at John 13 and 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I am back to the big book. I got some new glasses. When I first got bifocals, I couldn't read this anymore. I thought, this just isn't working. So I, I turned to my phone. And, you know, that's pretty good. That, there's a lot of study apps in here in the, the Bible Bible Hub is one that I recommend every, everybody download. Uh, you can go back to the original language. You can study all kinds of commentaries. There's so much information in there. It's incredible. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with the big book, you kind of know where things are on the page, right? You think, I got to look that up. And then you just page through and you think, well, I think it was on the left-hand page on the right-hand column toward the bottom. So you just page through it till you find it. <clears throat> That's one thing I like about the Bible. But anyway, I'm back. I got some new glasses. So in John 13, 33, take a look. This is Jesus speaking. He's giving, he's giving his disciples, who represent the church, in my opinion, some private revelation. And he says, little children, 
I shall be with you a while, a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. Where, who, to whom did he say, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said that to the Jews. He was telling the disciples, but he was telling them that he said it to the Jews. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now skip a couple verses, and Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? I think it's because he, you know, they all wanted to follow him. Just think what they were going through at this time. They completely thought it was their motivation every day when they got up that Jesus is going to sit on the throne on the earth. This guy is setting up a, a kingdom, and they thought, we're going to rule with him. Well, around this time, they started learning that's not the case. In fact, the, the temple is going to be destroyed. Not even one stone will be left on top of another. They found out that Jesus is going to have to die. They also found out he's going to leave them. Can you imagine what they were thinking? So they're going, where, where are you going? And Jesus started to say the same thing to the disciples that he said to the Jews. He said in verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me. But then he said a couple really cool words. He said, now, one little three-letter word, you cannot follow me now. And then he said, but, do you see the difference? Anytime you hear a but in a sentence, you know the sentence or the, the topic is going in a different direction. He said, but, you shall follow me afterward. That's a completely different meaning than what he said to the Jews. So that is exciting to me. He says, you cannot, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. I mean, that's just great. So uh, as we keep going here in, in chapter 14, that's why he said, let not your heart be troubled. And then he started speaking wedding language to them, which they would have, I believe, they would have recognized. He said, in my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, eight interesting words. I go prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, or say it more directly, since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I will come again and receive you to myself. Now, that word receive is very similar to uh, the words that the angel said to Lot when, when he grabbed them. He grabbed Lot, he grabbed his wife, they grabbed their daughters, and they took them out of Gomorrah. And they even said, I can't do anything until you... Uh, are out and are safe. That word receive is perilumbano. The same word in Matthew, let's see if I can find it because I'm way off my notes. Matthew 24, where, where uh, Jesus talks about there's going to be one, uh, I'm sorry, two sleeping and one will be taken. There will be two at the grinding wheel and one will be taken. There will be two in the field, and one will be taken. It's the same word. It's paralumbano. It's take. It's the same word used when we have to receive, uh, when we receive salvation from Jesus and his free gift to us, we, we take it. We receive it. It's not passive. It's actually um, a verb. It's, it's an, an action. So he's going to come back. Do you see how that is a picture of him coming back, taking or receiving 
his church and taking them back to the, his father's house. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Here's the cool thing. Here's the connection that I hope we can see. In verse 29 of chapter 14, he said, and now I have told you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe. Believe what? And what did he tell us? He told us about the betrothal ceremony where we just talked about the groom coming, paying the bride's price, um, cutting a covenant, and then going back to his father's house. That was all in the future to the disciples, right? And he said, so when you see this coming, which we've already seen coming, or we've seen it come to pass, then you can believe the rest of it. What's the rest of it? Him coming back for us, amen, and taking us to the Father's house and then bringing us back uh, for that uh, millennial reign. That, to me, is super exciting. I mean, I love it. We can believe that he is going to do it because what he has said already would come to pass, has come to pass. Amen. I go prepare a place for you. That Jewish wedding is a type and shadow of Christ and his church. In fact, in the marriage chapter of Ephesians, I call it the marriage chapter, Paul talks about marriage. You know, he tells... Um, the wife, submit to your husband, uh, and then he tells the husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church in a sacrificial way and give your life for her. Well, he also said in verse 32, he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak, meaning everything that I'm saying, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he again says, this is a mystery, when speaking of Jesus coming back to get the bride, the church, in the rapture. Revelation 19, 7 and 9 says, For the the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen. It's a love story. It's, It's a love story between Christ and his church. Amen. We can take that to the bank. All right, so some, some signs. I want to talk about some signs. The title of the message is Watch Therefore. What are we watching for? We're watching for signs because as we get closer and closer, as those birth pangs start to get closer together and they increase, what are we watching for? 30% of the Bible is prophecy, and the coolest thing about that is that it has all come to pass, and the rest of it will come to pass. It will continue to come true. Just think. When you know what God is going to do, and you tell somebody, and it happens, you sound really smart. I think uh, that's, it's one of the most exciting things to study, I think, is Bible prophecy and, and uh, just the odds of so many of these things coming to pass. So the odds of all the prophecy about Jesus coming to pass, the fir- or, yeah, when he came the first time, all those prophecies coming to pass is astronomical. Um, but... Every one of them was fulfilled. I think, I think it's one of the reasons that Paul often incorporated end times teaching in his letters. For example, Titus 2, 12, and 13 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. There is an exciting end of the story. And it's something that believers can look forward to. Truly, the best is yet to come. Um, he also, as far as signs go, he tells us to watch the fig tree. Uh, the b- single biggest event to usher in the la- latter days in the building of the f- is sorry, the budding of the fig tree. And that was the regathering of Israel uh, as a homeland to the Jews. It was recognized as a nation on May 14, 1948. He said in Luke 21, 29, he said, look at the fig tree and all the trees, which means all the nations around Israel. But Israel is the key to the end times time clock. So we are to watch the fig tree and everything related to Israel. Another of the biggest events to usher in the end of the latter days is when the Jewish people won back Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1967. Psalm 132, 13, and 14 say, For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, he has desired it for his home. And he says, This is my resting place forever. He said, I will live here, for this is the home I desire. And the Jews were severely overmatched. They were a newly established tiny army of a tiny newly established nation up against three much larger, very well established, very organized countries and armies, very well trained. It was truly a modern day David and Goliath. It reminds me of uh, Gideon's army and what he had to do. And why does God do this? And I believe he's going to do it more at the end is because then he is the only one that gets the glory. They can't say, well, the army was big and strong, and so they overcame him. No, they will say, that had to be God. And so many different miracles, true Bible time miracles. I'll just read one or two. Uh, There was a commander of an 88 Egyptian tanks, or a commander of 88 Egyptian tanks who surrendered to a small force of uh, one Israeli tank who fired with everything he had one night. The Egyptian commander said that the whole countryside was filled with Israeli tanks and the men dressed in white firing at them all night. Then when he surrendered, he said, we just can't take it anymore. Um, One more, another instance where a small Israeli force in a firefight with a superior Syrian force, where the Syrians ran in terror after shrieking that they had seen Father Abraham. And one of the soldiers was later interviewed and he said, They were especially fearful of the angels with flaming swords, and they knew that there was no way that they could defeat them. One more. And an Israeli force that was severely outnumbered and pinned between their enemy and a minefield uh, experienced a huge wind blow through and expose all of the mines so they could escape uh, through the minefield. Another sign is the, uh, the Hebrew language is restored. That's according to or prophesied in Zephaniah 3.9. The Hebrew language gradually lost out to the Aramaic language until it virtually disappeared from the region along with most of the Jews in the year 200. The Hebrew language was revived in the early 1900s and is the official language of Israel and spoken by over 9 million people today. Uh, here's another cool thing. The, uh, the Ethiopian Jews were brought back to Israel. This is a miracle. In Zephaniah 3.10, it talks about um, the Ethiopian Jews 
uh, being brought back, and there was three operations. Operation Solomon, these are military operations. Operation Moses and Operation Joshua, where more than 20,000 Jewish people were airlifted to Israel. And during Operation Solomon alone in 1991, there was uh, nonstop flights of Israeli aircraft transporting 14,325 Ethiopian Jews to Israel in 34 hours and four minutes. That's a miracle. Satan's plan has always been to either infiltrate or annihilate the Jews and prevent Bible prophecy from coming to pass, but he failed. Something, something is drawing back the Israel, Israelites right now, the Jewish people. They're, it's drawing them back to Israel. And that something is God. He's drawing them. Also, the fertility of the land is prophesied in Isaiah 35.7 and Joel 2.28. It's currently right now lush and green, and it hadn't been for decades and, and centuries and millennia even. Um, and in 1867, Mark Twain was given the assignment to visit and write about the Holy Land, which at that time was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. And here's a quote that tells us his impression of what he saw at the time. The further we went, quote, the hotter the sun got, and the more rocky, bare, repulsive, and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. You can pull it up on, online. I mean, do some before and after pictures before the Israelites started coming back and after, and uh, it's amazing. It's just lush and green right now. Um, also, the Jewish people will be hated by all the nations was prophesied, and there's anti-Semitism that's rampant and increasing all around the world and even in America. Apostasy is another thing that we are told to watch for. Apostasy is a defection, a revolt, a departure, uh, Paul mentions a departure from the faith as the last sign needed before the rapture of the church. And obviously it's on the inside of the church that we find this because you can't depart from something unless you've already been a part of it, right? After the first letter that he sent to the Thessalonians, Paul heard that there was a rumor going around and a false teacher causing the Thessalon Thessalonian church to believe that the rapture had already happened and they had missed it. So he had to write uh, 2 Thessalonians, and he wrote the second letter to this new believers. And just as they had false prophets in the early Christian days, we should expect false teachers today that we have to be careful of. That's why we are admonished not to be deceived. In, a, in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul is writing, and he says, Now, brethren, concern concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And that falling away is the apostasia or apostasy. And I've got some, some examples here. And you can see, you know, if you just look out in culture, you can see apostasy. Apostasy is happening, when I say in the church, I mean among believers worldwide. Uh, and, and we see it uh, blatantly. Here's a couple examples. Uh, a list of mainstream denominational teachings or practices uh, that, that prove the apostasy is happening. And I'm not denomination bashing, 
I don't want, I don't want to, uh, to sound like that. That's why I'm not going to say which denominations they're from. Plus, I grew up in a denomination. I was uh, a part of a very good denomination before I came here. Um, and so I have, I have nothing against denominations. It's just an example. So the initial falling away of a lot of these churches came during the early 2000s. One endorses the morality of homosexual relationships. No surprise. No, there's no official position between or on creation versus evolution in many of them. There's a lot of gender fluidity acceptance. Uh, one of them set up a $500,000 scholarship fund for gay and lesbian seminarians and urged a wider acceptance uh, of homosexuals in leadership of other denominations. Many even now allow atheists and agnostics in the pulpit. And I'll quote one who sees his job as play acting. He said, I see my job as play acting. I see myself as taking the role of a believer in a, in a worship service and performing. This particular atheist or ag agnostic says he stays in the ministry because he likes people and he still needs the job. So we have to watch out for these teachers and false prophets. And there are churchgoers and denominations who, you know, they accept abortion, encourage transgender or homosexual lifestyles, and even hold story hour, if you can believe that, with drag queens. So one more uh, example, End Times and teacher Jimmy Evans tells a story about a pastor friend of his who was at a specific church leadership conference of pastors coming a, a few years ago. And one of the leaders of his denominational organization who was speaking he was quoted saying, I will no longer allow my life or my morality to be defined by the four narrow corners of this book. And he was talking about the Bible. It's time for another testament to be written that is more modern and inclusive. This is in the church. Uh, Jimmy Evans was appalled, and he asked his pastor friend what happened after that. And his pastor friend recalled that there was thunderous applause. This is in a leader conference. Okay, so this is the living, active, inspired word of God, is it not? This is written for our good. This is true. This is what we go by. This is what we live our life by. So, but the Apostle Paul said that as we see those things coming and increasing, we should, um, we should know that the end is near. Uh, there are wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. I'm not going to go over a lot of them, but in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus said it, that there is going to be people groups rise against people group. That's nation against nation. We didn't see that until World War I. That was the first time we saw any kind of a world war like that. Um, and during that time came the Balford Declaration. You can look that up for, uh, for information. But it was signed uh, when the Ottoman Empire collapsed. And that's what allowed the Jewish people to begin settling the Holy Land in 1917. And this is way more significant than, than I have time right now. But these are, these are all signs that we can be sure that the end is near when these things start happening. World War II was the catalyst to usher many more Jewish people back to the land. Um, and the way that the Jews were treated compelled President Truman to push for the rebirth 
of the nation of Israel, which is truly a miracle. Imagine just starting a nation from nothing right now. There are many famines. Famines killed approximately 75 million people in the 20th century, but not because there wasn't enough food, but because there wasn't enough access to food. Seven of the 10 biggest famines in world history happened in the last 150 years. And today, we all know the world stands on the brink of unprecedented famines because uh, of the unavailability of fertilizer, severe drought, supply chain issues. And do you know how many food processing plants or factories have burned in 2022? It's 20. 20 have already burned this year. So it kind of makes us feel like maybe some of this is man-made. Do you ever have that thought? Uh, pestilences, the same thing. This word encompasses any and all forms of public and mass destruction and often accompanies famine, war, disease. Does that sound like a viral outbreak? I just heard uh, this week that our current administration deemed monkeypox as a public health emergency. So you can connect the dots as to what might happen next. There are earthquakes. Uh, according to NBC News, the annual number of great earthquakes increased 265% from 04 to 14. And additionally, there's been 25%, a 25% increase in earthquake activity as a whole in the last 10 years. I'm hoping that we can talk about more signs in the sun, moon, and stars uh, maybe next week. But Gen Genesis 1:14 says, And then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament and in the heavens, and let them divide day from night, and let them be for signs, and let them be for signals. So he's going to be signaling us and has been signaling us for, for a long time and for days and years. And Jesus said, Regarding the end of the age, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there are blood moons that have happened. Um, anytime there's four blood moons in a year, it's called a tetrad. It's a blood moon tetrad. And there's been three blood moon tetrads since 1492. And in 1492, there was one. And that's when the Spanish Inquisition was happening. And America after the Jews were expelled from that area of the world, America became a safe haven for the Jewish people. In 1948, another blood moon tetrad, uh, and Israel was born as a nation. In 2015, just seven years ago, and we don't know if this is a warning of sorts, um, there was another one. Uh, there are solar eclipses. Um, I hope to show a slide next week of one that happened in 2017 and also one that's anticipated seven years later in 2024, and where it crosses and uh, just what it, what it depicts is very interesting. I don't think that it's, you know, that we can hang our hat on that as being something that's, uh, you know, that's the one thing that's meaningful about end times, but when we start seeing th these types of things over and over, Jesus said, look up. Those are going to happen toward the end. All right. There's also a Revelation 12 sign. Um, is anybody aware of the Revelation 12 sign with Virgo and Leo and the dragon and Jupiter? Okay, that's something you can look up to. It's fascinating. Um, but there's world government signs and current events. You know, the United Nations <clears throat> has a UN sculpture that I've heard they took down, but it's hideous. And it's a lot like the... Um, 
a lot like the animal, if you want to call it that, in Daniel 7, 2 through 4. So we'll see if they took it down or not. The World Health Organization, we know they want total control, and uh, America right now is poised to give it to them. And the World Economic Forum, we could talk for an hour about that. Uh, you'll own nothing and be happy. Does that sound like that makes sense? You'll own nothing and be happy. Um, they want total control. There are biometrics and artificial intelligence and many books written on the subject. And the UN now has a digital ID that they're already developed. And there's a marketing video which we are told the UN will manage our data. How does that sound? No, no thank you. <laughs> so in closing, I want us to take a look at Matthew 24 and 25. This is another private conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And verse 3 of 24 says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And and what would be the end of the age? So they wanted a sign. The word says the Jews wanted a sign. The disciples wanted a sign. And of course, we want signs too, right? If it's an interest of ours, we want to know. And he again said, take heed that no one deceives you. And he tells them about many things that are to come. And it's interesting that at the end of 24 and into 25 are three parables and we typically think of these parables as parables of being faithful, and they really are. But when we think about them in the context of end times and, and what he is saying, I think we can, we can pull a little bit more out. So in verse 45 of 24 starts the parable of the two servants. And I'll just read that one. I'm not going to read them all. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. He said, blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What does that so doing mean? It means he's doing what the master told him to do when he left. Also, he's doing the same thing when the master comes back. That's so doing. He's blessed. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and get drunk with the drunkards. Then the master of the servant, I want you to catch this. Then the master of the servant will come on a day he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of. He didn't say that about the faithful servant. He said it about the evil servant. He will surprise the evil servant, not the faithful servant, in my opinion. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he talks about the parable of the ten virgins. Five of them were not ready, right? They weren't ready, and then when the door to the wedding feast was shut, they weren't allowed in. And, and uh, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, is the next verse. Jesus is saying, Watch, therefore, be ready. And then the parable of the talents uh, is pretty, uh, pretty well known. You know, the master goes away, but before that he gives the talents to the servants. 
according to their ability so that they can produce more, that, so that they can be profitable. And he comes back, and two of them had been profitable. One wasn't profitable, and he called him wicked and lazy. So in each parable, there were good and obedient and faithful, blessed servants, and there were wicked, evil, and lazy servants. What do we want to be? We want, we want to be the blessed ones. So what we need to do is, you can, you can see in the, in the uh, parables, what we need to do is watch, expect him to return, and do what he told us to do. We also be, need to be watching, therefore, and to be ready, and we need to be profitable with what he has given us. And that's all in the context of him being the master and him returning. And it's interesting that um, this is private revelation to the church, in my opinion, again, about a pre-tribulation rapture. He is coming back for his church. There's also other private revelation uh, that we talked about in John 13. And it's interesting in that passage that even John got even more private revelation from Jesus than the rest of the disciples did because he was leaning against Jesus and when Jesus announced that one of them was going to betray him, he said, Who, which one is it? And Jesus told him, it's the one that I dip the bread and give it to. So I believe that the closer we are, the more we study this, the closer we are to him, the more revelation that we will get. But it's, again, not just to, not just to be right in an argument, not to win an argument. It's what do we do with this information, knowing that he is coming back. And even if it's not in our lifetime, which I believe it is, if it's not, you know, our lives are a vapor. They're so fast. We, we uh, you know, there's the resources that we have, our money, time, and our energy. And I'm told from old people that as you get older, not that I'm experiencing this, as you get older, you have more time than you do energy. I've been told that time is our most valuable commodity because you can't make any more of it. You're out of it at the end of the day. Well, if you don't have energy to finish out the day, then energy is the most valuable, right? So let's lean on Jesus. Let's hear from the Holy Spirit. Here's really what I want to close with. The greatest lie is not that there is no God. The greatest lie is that not that there is no devil, there's no hell. Don't worry about it. You won't experience that. The greatest lie is that there's no hurry. It's that there's, there's no urgency. The greatest lie is we have plenty of time. The good and faithful servant said, or heard, well done. Why? Because they were expecting the master to come back. They were, they were anticipating his return. They were so doing what he asked them to do. Can I have the worship team come forward, please? We talked about the, uh, the representation or the shadow, the type of the Jewish wedding being a shadow of what really happens in heaven. And just as the Jewish bride had to consent to the marriage, we have to consent to Jesus' proposal of the free gift that he's offering us. Will you stand with me, please?
And just as any other free gift, birthday gift, Christmas present, we have to receive it. We have to take it. There's a verb. There's an action. We receive it, and we take it, and we make it our own, and we take it with us forever. So if that's you, if you've never done that before, and you would like to do that now, you can do it with a simple prayer. And the words... The words are, aren't, as, aren't as important as uh, your heart. Jesus wants you wants to know that you've received him and you received his gift. And you can do it with a simple prayer. So we'll all pray it together. You only need to do this one time, but we'll pray with you. Let's pray. Let's just pray. Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I open the door to my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Please take control of the throne of my life. Live your life through me, Lord Jesus. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.